0: Well, good morning. What a privilege we have uh, to come together and to remind each other and to rehearse together the truth of the gospel, that we are saved by the blood of Jesus, that we are brought into His family, uh, we are reconciled to God and given peace with Him. Uh, and I hope that doesn't just um, become a trite, casual thing that you're too familiar with to appreciate. And that's why we continue to gather together to remind ourselves of these things and worship the Lord for what He's done. I want to ask you if you would pray with me. We're going to ask the Lord to guide us in our time through his word, uh, that we would listen well, uh, not only to the text, but the Holy Spirit who illuminates that. So let's pray together. Father, we uh, really are uh, thrilled to be here this morning. We are in awe that you, for all of your holiness and your goodness, would call us wretched sinners to be your children. Uh, We thank you, God, for the cost that was paid in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for our sins. Uh, We're amazed. Uh, We do not deserve it, and we know that. But Lord, we relish in the fact that we are reconciled with you, that we are made your sons and daughters, that we are made the body of Christ and dwelt by your Holy Spirit. Uh, Lord, we recognize that you are returning us to our first vocation, which is to be worshipers of you forgive us, God, when we make you an idol uh, in our lives and when we make ourselves the primary feature of our existence and you as an add-on or an accessory. Lord, we exist for you and for your glory and the expansion of your kingdom. Uh, Lord, keep our hearts and minds fixed on those things. Uh, We thank you for your word and we're excited to look now and to see what it has to say to us. We do not worship this book. We worship the God of this book and I ask that the revelation that we have now in front of us in your word would be illuminated by your spirit and help us to know you. We're not looking for more information or more content. We're looking to be brought closer to our God, our Savior. Uh, So help us as we learn. Help us as we study this word. Uh, God, I pray that the Holy Spirit would impress upon each one of us something that we need to know, some way we need to change, something we need to do or the kind of person we need to be. So we ask for your help, and we thank you in advance. In the name of Jesus, who makes it possible. Amen. Uh, If you'd open your Bibles to Hebrews 10, uh, that's going to be our primary text this morning. And we're continuing on in this series of the cost of community. Um, Community is something, as you know, uh, almost everybody wants, or I would venture to say everybody wants, except for some contrarian Alaskan would say, no, I really like to be independent. But I think really in everybody's heart of hearts, we really do desire community. We desire to be uh, closely connected one to another. We, want, we all want to have these meaningful relationships where we go into one another's homes and we know that we have refrigerator privileges, right? We could go in and make a sandwich without someone looking at you like, what are you doing in my fridge? Uh, we really kind of do desire that the relationship uh, necessary for that action would be there, that we would be that kind of connected. Uh, we want to know that when life is difficult, when it's hard, that there will be somebody there to pick us up, where we won't have to fake it, that things are better off than they really are. Uh, we want people to be okay with us when we're not okay, and to be patient, and even to go through suffering and difficulty along with us with grace. Uh, we want to know that if we have to move into a new house, someone with a truck will help us, right? Um Maybe the truest test of friendship and community is to help a brother move. Uh, I love that bumper sticker. You've probably seen it on cars and, and uh, it says, or on trucks rather, it says, "Yes, this is my truck. No, I will not help you move." Right? <laughs> uh, I need to get one of those for my truck. Uh, but as much as we want these things, and I think most of us do, oftentimes we're unwilling to pay the cost of community community has a price tag. It doesn't come cheap. It doesn't come free. It doesn't come easy. It isn't handed out. It's something that we pay into. It's something that we have to invest in. It's something that we have to sacrifice for. It's something that we cultivate over time. Uh, and at the beginning of the series we looked at uh, the book of Acts in chapter 2. And we saw really the beginning, the emergence of the church as the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And we saw the way the Holy Spirit changed the way that these, uh, these people behaved and lived and, and, and interacted with one another. And this radical community was formed. Even in, even in a mega church of Jerusalem of over 3,000 people, we find this close-knit community. And we see this community that was created because of what they practiced and because of how they were living out uh, the inworking of the Holy Spirit. And we look at some of these practices that they devoted themselves to, and that word is repeated. They devoted themselves to four things, and we've kind of been working uh, through those through this particular series here. As we kind of, and, and after this, you know, we're going into First Corinthians, but uh, they devoted themselves to four things. They devoted themselves first, first of all, to the apostles' teaching. Uh, and we are incredibly privileged that we have the apostles' teachings bound for us in the inspired word of God. And I think it was much more difficult for them to sort out what was authoritative and what was apostolic and what was not. And yet we have it for us clearly in our own hands, in our own grasp, you know, in the cover of uh, colored to our preference, in the translation that we like, with or without study notes, large print, wide margin what have you. And we have that kind of access to it. But they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching. And that wasn't just this random legalistic exercise that they checked off the box. It was a way that as they devoted themselves to the teachings of the apostles, that they were made more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And that cultivated community because they were being pulled together into his image. And that created a unity, that formed a unity. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They also devoted themselves to the fellowship, it says, that is, to one another. There was a mutual commitment and devotion to one another. They were interactive and interdependent in one another's lives, and we're going to talk about that today. We also saw that they were devoted, or they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. Quite simply, they were in each other's homes, they shared meals together, they shared time together. Uh, we're also told that uh, they shared their stuff. Everything, everybody held everything in common. And on occasion, they even sold their stuff so that they could provide for the needs of others. Uh, whoever had a need, it's, we're told. Uh, talk about the cost of community, right? Talk about selling your stuff so you could give to someone else who has a need. Uh, and then lastly, we, we see in the list of four things they devoted themselves to. They devoted themselves to prayer. And I think there's a good reminder that this isn't just uh, an exercise in human activity. This isn't just religious humanism that's being practiced in the early church. They came before the Lord and they sought his face together. And what God was doing in them was just that, the work of God. It wasn't just the result of human effort. They devoted themselves to prayer. This was a new spiritual life being lived out in community. And so this morning, we're actually going to look at their devotion to the fellowship, devotion to one another. That's going to be our theme this morning. And we're actually going to look at the book of Hebrews to see uh, how the believers there did this and how this devotion of, of to one another actually sustained uh, their faith, even in the midst of persecution. So two broad points, two things I really want you to hear this morning. First is this, that it's Christ who pulls us into Uh, or reconciles us to God and pulls us into relationship with God. That's how we're reconciled to him. That's where we're anchored in him. But in addition to that, it is the Christian community that helps us sustain that ongoing posture with the Lord. And those are the two things that I want you to hear. We're right with God because of Jesus, because of what he has done. And we encourage each other as the body of Christ to stay there and to stay in that relationship with him. And so I want you to, if you turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 10, we're going to start in verse 19. I want to give you a little bit of context here so we we make sure we're not just pulling something out of thin air and making it fit whatever's in my mind. But the context of the book is this. Hebrews' theme primarily from beginning to end is about perseverance in the faith. Uh, The author of Hebrews, who is uncertain, uh, some think it's the Apostle Paul. Uh, I'm actually in the camp. I think it's probably Barnabas or Apollos, one of those two guys. But that's neither here nor there. We don't know. Uh, we're not certain. But he's writing to a group primarily of Jewish believers who had come under persecution. Um, the intensity of the persecution, uh, we're told in the book, had not yet reached sort of the, uh, a bloody threshold. But life was still hard. Uh, and, and these believers were really feeling pressure from both sides. On the one hand, they felt estranged from uh, their, sort of their, um, their Jewish friends. Uh, Because they had embraced Jesus as God's Messiah. And so that created a a bit of a separation uh, between them. And so they felt some hostility for that. And in addition, they felt a little bit estranged and distant from uh, non-believing Gentile community. And especially from the Romans and the oppression that they were feeling there. So it was kind of like this new Christian community who had come out of Judaism and embraced Christ. Felt pressure everywhere they looked. On all sides, there was a little bit of animosity between them and and the community around them. And so they just found themselves in this very uncomfortable, isolated position. And one of the the questions or the doubt that they began flirting with was was this question. Maybe we could just go back to our old Jewish faith. Maybe we could just be God-fearers again, but not really be so explicit about this person of Jesus. Maybe we don't have to stand for him so much as long as we're still maintaining some of our Judaism. And so that was the question they were starting to entertain a little bit here. And in response to that question, the author is going to affirm two things for them. Number one, the centrality of Christ in their standing with God and the importance of the community of faith to persevere in that, as I said earlier. And that's what we're going to see. So first of all here, we see that it's through Jesus that you're reconciled to God. Verse 19 Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. Okay, so we're just setting up where he's going here. But what we see initially is that perseverance is not going to be accomplished simply as a matter of human effort and initiative and discipline and drive. Their perseverance in the faith is going to be and ought to be driven and motivated by the sacrificial work of Christ, a clear understanding of what Jesus has done for them, that it's Jesus that reconciles us to God. He took our sins upon himself. He removed the barrier. He changed the system. He brought us close to the Lord by his priestly work and his advocacy as our high priest. And so the result of that work was that they could have confidence in their standing with God. And so what we see is that Jesus is the basis of faith and perseverance. He is the basis of faith and perseverance. And the reason that we can persevere is primarily because of what Jesus has already performed for us. In other words, our standing with God isn't in jeopardy if we trust in Jesus. We don't have a God who is moody, who likes us one day, and not so much the other day. We have a God who is monotonous in his love for us and who receives us as his children based on the finished work of Jesus. Once we have trusted in him as our savior, we're in, we're secure completely. I loved the, the phrase of that song that we finished with just before we started. Forgiven how long? Forever. Forgiven forever. That's our standing with the Lord because of Jesus. Um, when we watch a baseball game or a football game, or whatever, I guess it's football season now. It's still baseball season. It's that awkward time of, of year. It's not yet the good time of year when basketball kicks up. Uh, we're watching a game, you know, before the contest begins, very often the national anthem is sung. And it's one of these things that we do before we kind of go into this recreational pastime and enjoy this game. And and it's a way of reminding ourselves we get to enjoy this freedom and this luxury and this entertaining event and we get to sort of indulge in this fun thing. But we really get to do it because of the freedom that we have. Because of the place that we're in nationally. Because of what uh, others have paid for so that we can enjoy this time. And we kind of remind ourselves of that frequently so that we don't forget the costs of freedom. And, and I, think, I think the author of the book is doing the same thing here. We have this freedom. We have this secure standing with God. But we want to remind ourselves of how that came about. It was paid for in Jesus. It came at great cost. You have it. Enjoy it. But don't forget where it came, for, came from. And so we have this privilege. It was purchased at great at great cost. But then we are encouraged to draw near to God with Confidence, with confidence. Look at verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience, and having our bodies washed with pure water. Uh, so you might read this and go, you know, what is all this? Sprinkling of the heart and washing of the body, you know, what what's what's going on here? The author is reminding the recipients of this message about the inner cleansing that has happened at a heart level and this, this clear conscience that they that they now enjoy. They have been cleansed by the work of Christ. Their hearts and consciences are no longer uh, dependent upon ceremonial washings or ceremonial sacrifices of earthly priests. Because Jesus as the high priest has given the sacrifice once for all, forever. They don't have to continue doing this over and over again. This morning I came in early to kind of pray through some of my notes and to think about the, the message and one of the things that was sort of impressed upon me was I wanted to ask you to imagine something. Imagine you lived under the Old Testament sacrificial system. Imagine that you regularly, annually, went to the temple to offer sacrifices for sins and to cleanse your conscience and sort of enjoy, in a sense, right standing with God. I imagine you would look forward to it, don't you think? I mean, if you've sort of, you go through day in and day out and you're stacking up these sins and this guilty conscience and this weight and this burden of all that I've done and my wrong standing with the Lord, it would become heavy over time. And I imagine you would look forward to that day when we're going to go to the temple, we're going to offer sacrifices, and we're going to have this, this time of peace where I know that I have come before the Lord and confessed and renounced these things and been cleansed. But, but it occurred to me that imagine just after having done that, and you have this sense of euphoria of, ah, oh, cleansed and I, I feel good, and the Lord has um, you know, forgiven me of these things. And yet, you know, you're, you're packing up to get ready to head home. And uh, you're strapping things on the donkey and, you know, one of your ratchet straps breaks. And you lose it just a little bit. You get a little angrier than you ought to have. Uh, and the kids are not exactly coming in tow as you would like them and they're still running around and heckling each other as kids do. And you're short with them. And then your wife didn't get the grain that you really wanted, you know, on the way home. The special grain, you know, from the... Whole food store, whatever, uh, gluten free—I don't know—and and you're short with her. And before you've even left the temple to go home, you're right where you started from. You're right there again. Uh, contrast that with what we have in the name of Jesus. One sacrifice for all, forever. Forgiven forever. Sins not just overlooked by sacrifice, but sins completely paid for in the sacrifice of Christ. All of our sins poured into him for all of time, for all of humanity to be destroyed in the person of Christ so that we could be raised to new life and live confidently in him and approach God confidently with no hint of a conscience, a problem of conscience, knowing that we are perfectly clear with him. What a privilege we have in contrast to the old system and the old way. The prophet Ezekiel spoke to this in Ezekiel 36 where he said, I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you and I will remove your heart of stone and I will give you a heart of flesh and I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. We have been completely transformed. If you have trusted in Christ as your Savior, a complete transformation has taken place. In your standing with God and now in your ability to obey and to follow God. You could not obey before, but now with the help of the Holy Spirit, you can. You have power to obey the Lord now that you did not have prior. And so the author shows that there's no reason for anyone who trusts in Jesus to drift backwards or to drift away or to pull back. No reason to have a guilty conscience. No reason to be half-hearted. No reason for shame. We can come to him boldly because Jesus paid the price. And because the benefit that he offered has been received. And now he goes on to affirm it in one other way. He shows us the trustworthiness of God in his character and his nature. And so the third point here is that through Jesus we have confident hope. Verse 23. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Once again, our confidence is not placed in us. It's not sourced in us. It's sourced in the nature and the character of God. And it would be Maybe very easy to just kind of pass over this statement that he who promised is faithful. But I think we need to pause there and linger there because it's so different than many of the experiences of our lives. Um, I I realized a number of years ago, uh, I was very blessed to have grown up in a Christian home. Uh, And my parents, who are uh, absolutely imperfect, um, were good parents. And they loved each other and they loved us. Uh, they were faithful to the Lord and to one another, and they were nurturing to my sister and myself. I had a privilege of going to a Christian school. I had a good Christian community around me. I got to go to a Christian college and had the same. I was incredibly blessed to have mentors in my life as early as I can remember. And I guess I kind of grew up thinking this is what people enjoy in general. I can see by the looks on a lot of your faces, you're like, no. And I know that, I know that. I know that was a rich heritage that I have and I'm, I'm blessed for that and I, and I rejoice in it. But I know after having pastored for 13 years now and knowing a lot of your stories, there have been a lot of unfaithful people in your lives. People and relationships that God gives to us to reflect him, to reflect his nature, to even introduce us to him at times let us down. Whether it's maybe it's our earthly fathers or our parents. There to be our earliest understanding of what it means to be, say, a father. And yet, if our father was not nurturing or unkind or cruel, then it's very easy to project that upon God or heavenly father or earthly spouses. Maybe there's been a time of struggle or even infidelity in some way or another. Families who are supposed to be nurturing and helpful and encouraging to you have been anything but they've just been a burr in your saddle. Your employer who's supposed to look out for you while you perform a task for them instead just grinds away at you and continues to try to get the most out of you for the for the least amount of compensation. Or churches. Churches wouldn't let you down, would they? Well we know better. I have, on, I have in the bottom of your handout that uh, the church is not a museum for saints, but a hospital for sinners. If you're here this morning and you're a sinner, you're in good company, because uh, we all are too. It's just that we have our sins forgiven in Jesus. But churches will let you down because we're still imperfect. Uh, or friends, maybe you've paid into some friendships for a long time and you've paid dearly and you've been there when they were down and you've supported and encouraged and you've worked hard and yet when it was time for you to receive, where were they? Maybe there was a lack of loyalty or fidelity there. There's any number of ways that this could happen. We generally live in a world of infidelity. We live in a place where people let us down. But today I can tell you with absolute confidence because the word of God says it. Your heavenly father is faithful. He who promised is faithful. God has never, ever, ever failed to do what is in your very best interest. Never. Not once. And he never will. Uh, I know there's mystery wrapped up in that, but our God is faithful. Um, I love this particular quote. It's by a guy named A.W. Tozer. You may have heard of him. I've quoted him a couple times. It says, God cannot act out of character with himself. Men become unfaithful out of desire, fear, weakness, loss of interest, or because of some strong influence from without. Obviously, none of these forces can affect God in any way. He is his own reason for all he is and does. He cannot be compelled from without, but ever speaks and acts from within himself by his own sovereign will as it pleases him. The assurance there is that God is absolutely consistent, faithful with who he is. He never deviates from his nature. It is inherent in his godness, if I can say that. Even his name by which he has revealed himself is the I am, right? I am who I am, he says. And that is a basis of perseverance and for holding on the hope that we profess. It is in the nature and the character and the ministry of God. So it's through Jesus that we're reconciled to God. He is the basis of our perseverance. He gives us confidence to approach the throne boldly. And through Jesus, we can have this confident hope because his nature and his character is absolutely faithful. Faithful. But at this point, the author changes up his argumentation a little bit. So we we see the reason for perseverance that's sourced in God. But now we see the role that the Christian community plays in this. And it's an important role. And it's something that I think is often overlooked. But through Christian fellowship, we are sustained in our posture with the Lord and in this, uh, this place that he has us, the standing that we've been given. So look at verse 24 with me. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see The day approaching. And so, what we're told here essentially is this that we are to push each other in maturing faith. And I'm going to use that word push, and I want to unpack it just a little bit. The point is, we're not just to exist passively in the same room together and call it church. Uh, I I challenged you last week to consider uh, that you really can't come and attend church. That's a ridiculous notion any more than you can attend family. You don't go home and attend family. You are family. When you're here, you are church. And there's a certain way of being together that makes that distinct. It's not simply in the door in the building. It's a way of interacting and living out the truth of the gospel in Jesus Christ. And so we are church together. The word that's used here for um, that I've paraphrased with push or the word spur, uh, it's a really strong Greek word. And it's actually only used one other time in the New Testament. Uh, but it essentially means it's it's we from this word we get our English word to provoke. If you think about it, uh, there's only one other instance of it. It's in Acts chapter 15, where it describes the uh, sort of the confrontation that Paul and Barnabas had over John Mark. It says that there was such a sharp disagreement among them, sharp disagreement that they parted company. In other words, there was such a provocation between these two guys that they split. And that's the word that's used here to say that we are to consider how we may provoke one another towards love and good deeds. Um, There are times in in our lives with one another where in order to encourage someone, we may send a very nice card. Uh, We may make a gentle, loving phone call. Uh, We may offer a word of encouragement to somebody and just affirm what we see in their life. Uh, we, may, we may do these very uh, kind-hearted things, but there's also a time to lovingly provoke one another. Uh, and I, I thought I would tell you a couple instances where um, two guys have done this in my life. Uh, there's been lots of them, but these are two I'm willing to tell you, so we'll, we'll share those. Uh, one was when I was in college, down at Biola University, and uh, there was a man that was mentoring me. His name was Albert Chan, and um, he had seen me, uh, do some things well and some things very poorly. And after about a year, he uh, came up to me and he provoked me. Uh, he got in my face to lovingly encourage me uh, to follow Jesus. But one of the things he told me was, he said, you know, Eric, as I've observed you, I see that you have a tendency to coast in your areas of strength and to try to, sh- try to shore up your areas of weakness. But if it's an area that God has gifted you or, or given you some ability you don't give them your best there. And it, you know, it stung, and I thought, you're right. You're right, I do. Uh, if there's a natural ability there, I'll wing it. And uh, it was a provocation that I think I needed. Uh, another, one, another man that's done that in my life, Jeff Welch, our former youth pastor years ago, he and I still talk regularly. And uh, after about five years of meeting together before uh, he and Carrie uh, moved on, Uh, We kind of sat down one day and said, okay, we've been meeting together for five years to encourage and challenge one another. What's something we haven't yet said to one another that, you know, the other needs to hear? And he said, Eric, I think one of the things that you do is, um, I think you you believe in people and you're optimistic to people, but sometimes to a fault. And sometimes you need to confront things that you might not. And he was right. I don't like conflict. Anybody like conflict? Anybody? Um, I don't. And uh, it was an area that I needed to be provoked and confronted with. And we're given this responsibility as the body of Christ to lovingly spur one another on, to, in the name of Jesus, issue a bit of a provocation for the good of the other person. I will tell you this, that this doesn't come easily or naturally. You don't get to just speak into somebody's life like that unless you have earned the privilege to do so. And they can't just come into your life and say whatever you know is their fancy to bark at you unless they have earned the privilege to do so. In other words, we can't do this if we're not cultivating those kinds of relationships in advance or we'll just offend one another. We have to cultivate this community and this opportunity. We have to be continually meeting together so we can lovingly provoke one another on towards love and good deeds. And that sort of moves the, the talk forward here. We are to keep meeting together for mutual encouragement. Let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day approaching. Christian, can I ask you this? Does it seem to you like the day is approaching more and more? Do you think we should be meeting together less or more? The word says more. We should be pressing into one another. I'm not a doomsday kind of person. I tend to think we could be here another hundred years, and I want to set up my life for that. But when I look around, I see increasing persecution for Christians. It seems to me every day, well, obviously every day, the day is getting closer. We should be meeting together more and more. Um, We are a habit people, aren't we? We're creatures of habit. We can set good habits or bad habits. And the word tells us to set this good habit of continually meeting together. Um, and so I want to lovingly provoke you all this morning about the importance of Christian community and the way you approach it. Christian community is a core value of any healthy church. And it certainly is a core value of our church. Uh, one of the ways, it's one of the reasons we have a, a strong emphasis in small groups because you can't really exist in Christian community just by virtue of sitting in this room this morning. Half of you don't know the other half of you. You have got to be in smaller groups and smaller communities where you can lovingly provoke one another and serve each other and encourage each other and know one another. You you have to cultivate that or you're going to be missing out on some things. Uh, we have 16 small groups starting this year. And in your bulletin, it talks about a leader launch and how you get plugged into that. And uh, I like to say that, Pastor, or that that God loves you and Pastor Adam has a wonderful plan for your life, which involves small groups. And uh, that's the way in, and I would encourage you to take it. You know, a sto- Amy and my story with small groups is this. We were on staff at another church at another town years ago in our life. And even though we were on staff with the church, we were desperately lonely. We weren't known by the body. We weren't receiving from the body. We were just giving. So we started a small group with some people that we thought we might like to interact with for our own nourishment and and, uh, just to sustain ourselves. We're still in touch with some of those people today. Um, It's important. Christian community is important. It's also why we're vigilant to Um, take attendance every Wednesday. If you were to walk in at nine o'clock, bring donuts with you because what we're doing is we're doing attendance right then. Our staff all gets together and we sit down in a room and we commit not just one hour, but if you consider all the staff that's in there, all of those man hours to do this thing. And it's not just to arrive at an attendance number because what we're working together to do is to see if not only if you were here, But we interact with one another about what we know is going on in your lives. You know, have we seen so-and-so? No, it's been three or four weeks. Oh, they're down fishing. Oh, okay. If I need some fish, I know who to call, you know. Or, you know, uh, was so-and-so here on Sunday? Yeah, they were. They just found out they're expecting. Oh, praise God. And we are corporately together as a whole team shepherding you through that act. We're not just looking for a number. We're looking to know what's happening in your lives, which is why you have this handout in front of you. I know it feels like a perfunctory thing that we tell you to do every week, but we want to know so we can shepherd you and pray for you. Uh, And so that's that's one of those things that we do. We do that because Christian fellowship is important and we want to make sure that you're here and that you're coming because if you're absent for a long time, we know a couple of things. We know that you are not being fed spiritually as you need to, and that concerns us. Um, we, we also know that, it's a, that if you're outside of fellowship for a long time, you become vulnerable to just worldly ideas because you're not being lovingly provoked. Um, we also know that if you're out, outside of fellowship for a long time, you're withholding something from the body and that is the spiritual gift that God's entrusted to you. Um, none of us has... All of the spiritual gifts. Every person who is trusted in Christ as their Savior has a spiritual gift or maybe even a couple. But they're given not just to hold, but to share for the edification of the body. And I just I want to lovingly tell you this. When you're not here sharing your gift with the body, you're robbing from me and from your brothers and sisters in Christ. Much the way you would reach right into the offering plate and take it out as it went. You're given a gift to share and I need... Your spiritual gift. There are are many of you who have to... I don't have the gift of administration. I don't have the gift of compassion. I don't have the gift of hospitality, but I have to practice that because I'm told to. You have incredible gifts that the Holy Spirit has awakened in you, and you need to use them for the benefit of the body of Christ. And so you need to be regularly engaged in the fellowship. You need to show up, not just to receive, but to be priests for one another and ministers exercising the God-given gifts that he has entrusted to you for the sake of the body. It also means, Christian community also means that we have to worship, come together to worship, even when we don't want to, even when we think, I don't need it this morning. Because your expression of worship may be the thing that sustains somebody that day. I can tell you there are days I'm sitting in the back next to Andrew getting ready to preach and I feel flat and my soul feels empty and I'm praying, Lord, rescue me from this hour. (laughs) And there are times when I look around and I see you guys and I see your faces and your countenance and your hearts crying out to the Lord in worship. And it lifts me up. And so I need you. We need one another uh, to be the body of Christ, not just to attend but to be it. Um, To provoke you long and hard on that one, I'll move on. (laughs) I think one of the concerns that I have about sort of the modern church these days is that it has largely become, in a lot of places, a consumer affair. Where we approach it just like we would shop for anything. We want to get the most for the least cost. And I want to challenge you to think differently about that. I want you to think about your participation in the community of faith and showing up intentionally to give, to serve, to minister, to give richly, and to invest deeply. I was thinking about this this morning too. This passage comes out of Hebrews, out of this specific context. Do you recall, as I started, the reason that they were beginning to withdraw and pull back from fellowship and community? It was persecution. It got too hard. It got too costly. Their lives were getting towards, it was becoming dangerous for them. They were pressed on every side. I don't think these are the reasons that pull us back and away from Christian community. I think the reasons that pull us back are things like laziness, sleeping in because we haven't prioritized correctly. Recreation takes an imbalanced place in our life. We become apathetic. Or we become self centered when we arrive and we think Eric should only preach this long, they should only do the songs that I like, and it should only be this temperature in the room. <laughs> and we <laughs> We are here first and foremost for the Lord and for the glory and the honor of his name. We're here for worship, not reception. And if God gives more, that's his grace but we're here because we need to come before the Lord and worship and give him the honor that he's due. Um, This might be an ugly illustration to end on, but I'm going to try it anyways. Um, I think community and the cost of community is an awful lot like insurance. The ugly word these days, insurance. And that is this. We all want it when we need it, but none of us wants to pay into it if we're not drawing from it, right? Right? But community is like that. We have to pay a regular premium so that it's there when we need it. Uh, and oftentimes, when we have the need, there's even a copay. We don't get 100% care, there's a copay. And oftentimes, there's a deductible. If you haven't met a certain threshold of investment, you're not going to receive much. And I want you to enjoy rich Christian community. It is God's gift for you and you, you're going to need it because the day of trouble is coming. None of us gets past that. And so I would tell you, pay your insurance premium, get up on your copay, get your deductible in because you need the Christian community and I need you, the day is coming. This is all secured for us in Christ Jesus. We're reconciled to God by his finished work for us. He's the basis of our faith gives us confidence to draw near to God. We have confidence in his character and nature. He is unwavering. So we are secure. But we encourage one another. We lovingly provoke one another to walk with the Lord. And we need to keep meeting together for that mutual encouragement. Let's pray. Lord, you have not called us to do this life alone. In fact, you have made us this very beautiful thing a reflection of the body of Christ. And the only way that we reflect Jesus, especially to the unbelieving world, very clearly, is to do it corporately. So that they would not just see a little piece of us, a little piece of Jesus, but they would see the whole body interacting and serving one another as each part does its work, maturing into into the likeness of Christ. Lord, we know we are more mature together than alone. Drive us together, God. Help us to stand secure in the work that Jesus has performed for us. Help us to stand secure as a community of faith, interdependent on one another. Thank you that the same spirit that indwells my brothers and sisters, indwells me, and we are all together one family. We love you. We thank you in the name of Jesus.